Hi again, everybody. Welcome back to Radio MVP Sports Podcast. Anthony is traveling to South Bend for some family activities, so he is unable to join us here this week. But Kevin Blackman is stepping in for him again this week. I really appreciate you coming in. And uh, we're going to have some fun talking, uh, obviously, the NFL playoffs, the uh, AFC and NFC championship game, and uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame, just to name the two. And uh, I was planning to have a friend of mine, uh, Eric Bolin, I mentioned him many times in the past, uh, call in and talk to us about the Hall of Fame, his vote with the uh, Baseball Writers Association and uh, how everything transpired on the Baseball uh, Hall of Fame vote. Unfortunately, Eric's traveling and he got delayed, so I'm not going to be able to talk to him today, but I'm going to talk to him tomorrow and I'll just add it to the podcast. But we're going to get into all that, and uh, then uh, Kevin's going to be able, if he has any type of questions, he can tell me afterwards or during the thing, and I'll try to write them down, uh, put it in my major notes that I normally carry, and I will, uh, we'll, we'll have a great conversation. I'm actually looking forward to talking to Eric. I have not talked talk to Eric in many years. Uh, we correspond through email a few times, and Obviously, over social media, as that has grown over the last eight, ten years, and but I haven't really talked to him. And uh, he actually texted me, apologized he couldn't come on, and said, "I'm really looking forward to talking to you again." So it will be uh, a lot of fun uh, when that comes. But uh, before I go any farther, we welcome Kevin back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great. I'm I'm actually thrilled to have you here and uh, to talk the NFL with me. Anthony is, like I mentioned, traveling, and he probably didn't watch much. <laughs> He's just not into it. Though I do want to say this in case he does uh, tune in and listen here and on his way back from uh, South Bend later this week. With the hiring that happened in Denver this week, boy, it looks really possible that he may end up with the quarterback that he loves. <laughs> that, and I was hoping he'd be on because that was something I, was I wanted to talk to him about too. Yes, yeah, I yes. and we will. I mean, we'll have that opportunity uh, in the future. But I couldn't resist not mentioning that. I'll be the first to buy him a jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Rogers, 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 right? <laughs> Get him out of the NFC. Uh, yeah, Denver is a landing spot for aging quarterbacks, and it has been for a while. Well, hopefully it doesn't equal another Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> I'll still be yeah, against yeah, I think not every non-Bronco fan in the world would be uh, in that uh, belief. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, the NFC and the AFC championship game happened. The NFC, uh, actually, the AFC was the first game. Uh, Kansas City got out to a huge lead, 18-point lead, and let it slide by. Cincinnati with a great comeback behind Joe Burrow. Wow, what a game. What a, what a statement for Cincinnati saying that we're not just a Cinderella team. We are a team who wants to win championships. Yeah, um, so I have a couple points that I wanted to make right off the bat. Yeah, go right ahead. Uh, humbled by my pick. I, I, I kind of gave the Bengals no chance a week ago. Uh, so the credibility I came in with, I probably already lost. Don't worry. I picked <laughs> I picked Kansas City and I picked Los Angeles. So I'm 0 for 2. There you go. <laughs> well, so I did I did win uh, the, the Rams pick yesterday. So I am still 11 and 2 overall, which oh, is better than bad, yeah. some of the experts I've seen out there. So I, I will say that. But 
completely wrong on the Bengals. I thought they were at least a year or two away. They're there now. And the one thing I did want to mention, I felt like it was a good segue from last week's show, the coin flip didn't lose the game. How about that? Yeah. I hope Buffalo was paying attention to that. It's so. amazing how many people still talk about the coin flip. <laughs> uh, it's a lousy rule. It's a terrible overtime. Everyone knows how I feel about that. Yeah. And, that and that hasn't changed. I hate the overtime in the NFL. At least this one had a conclusion that I can live with uh, because both teams had opportunities. And yep. both teams had both offensively and defensive opportunities to make plays. And that's what, to me, it's all about. You have to have an opportunity. I can't imagine basketball going down to one shot. Here's the tip off, and whoever puts the first basket in wins. You know, and that's the way I I, kind of associate it to. But needless to say, I thought you got to give Cincinnati credit. They were poised the whole way. Even when the game got tied, when Buckner hit the the field goal. Uh, No. Or Buckner. Buckner, Yeah, Buckner hit hit the tying field goal after the big comeback in Cincinnati had the lead. They sent it to overtime, and then they lost the coin flip. And well, give credit to credits due. The Cincinnati defense in the second half was a different animal than it was in the first half. And I, they got all the momentum for that end of the first half. What a disaster. Yes. Uh, yeah, they, that, to me, was the turning point in the entire game, was at the two-yard line with 10 seconds left in the half. There was up, what were they up, 21-3 or 21-10? 21-10 at that 21-10 point. 21-10 at the time. And obviously, most people knows what happened. They ran the one play. They got down to the one-yard line. And then they had about five seconds left in that half, maybe six. And they threw a pass to Hill in the backfield. <laughs> I was just like, I know Hill's the fastest guy in the NFL and elusive. But no timeouts. Yeah, no timeouts. Seconds. And you had to get into the end zone. The play before, everyone was given – all the credit for throwing the ball in the ground to make sure he didn't lose all that time. Yeah. You know, I just I, – I don't understand. I mean, Mahomes made a great decision there and maybe the worst decision on the next play. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And, and supposedly he talked Andy Reid into going for it. Uh, that's, that's what I'm hearing is that Mahomes said, here, you know, let, me, let me try one more time. I would have kicked a field goal. Uh, you know, I know they're an explosive offense, but – to me, you got to get the points. You were rolling along. Yeah. You had scored on every possession uh, up until that point. Um, but once once the play before that didn't work out, that to me that was their one chance. Um, and again, the, the play call was just bad. Yeah, I mean, the play call. Was. You got to get it into the end zone so that it's, I can even with that offense, I can understand taking one shot. If you're doing like a fade, you know where you're sending your three receivers out. And basically to the corners, and you're throwing it immediately. So you're throwing it into a corner where only they can make the play. Either it's going to be too far and, you know, the play's over and there'll be one or two seconds left. Or you just accept the fact that, you know, you need to kick the field goal like you're talking about. I was just, the play call was one of the worst calls I've seen in years. I don't know if that was improvised, but Hill was in the backfield on the play. So it looked like it was designed, in my eyes. Uh, I, I thought that was a turning point. That but, gave yeah. momentum to Cincinnati belief that they stayed in the ball game, because Absolutely. obviously that touchdown puts them down three scores, and that's huge. However, they were able to really 
avoid even giving up an extra three points being down by 13 type scenario. So it was huge. I thought it was what a what a change in event. And then Mahomes third quarter was really taken away from him. He didn't have a lot of opportunities. The interception happened. What a great play. Amazing play uh, for the what was that, defensive tackle, defensive end to put yeah. his hands up, knock it down and catch it. I mean, what a play, and it gave him a short field, and, and it really they took total advantage of it. So I thought that was really two huge plays in the, in the ball game. Yep, and, and again, I, I think I put it out there last week, I, I was personally rooting for Kansas City, and, man, I felt comfortable that first half. They were rolling along. And that play, even though they went into the locker room with 11-point lead, I just had this feeling. And yeah. when they came out and had a punt right away, man, my – I was Worst cons- fears were realized real quick. Yeah, right. I was concerned after that play, that end of the half, because you could see the life go into Cincinnati when they charged off the field, knowing exactly what they 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 had the perfect scenario. They didn't give up any points, and they have now momentum, and they really took advantage of that momentum. And sometimes Andy Reid gets so one-sided on his play calling that even though you have a McKinnon in the backfield, even though, you know, you can use some of these guys in a lot of ways, and you can use them as long handoffs with quick quick throws to them, all of a sudden, those kind of disappeared in the second half. And I thought that is typical Andy Reid. Yeah. You look what he did in Philadelphia. You look what he's done in Kansas City. He hasn't changed as a, as a coach. He still sometimes gets to the point where he's a little too heavy on his quarterback and not enough on some of the parts that got him there. Yeah. And he's got – don't get me wrong. He's got the quarterback oh, to he, do he, that now. Yes, he and, does. And my point, you know, last week right. was the two bad plays that they had in the playoffs were the two plays that Patrick Mahomes wasn't under center. Right. So, it, obviously, that he learned from that because there were no trick plays um, yesterday. But uh, – you know, Andy Reid, if he didn't have that Super Bowl two years ago, he's in Marty Schottenheimer land. I mean, this guy, yeah, he gets there. He's been yeah. to how many championship games now between right. Philadelphia and Kansas City and still won Super Bowl you know, to show for. So uh, maybe that's Aaron Rodgers land, uh, we, we call yeah. that now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do wonder his, you know, judgment when it comes down to, to these big games. Um, you know, I, is he maybe holding them back or the fact that he gets them there? Should be you know enough to be said. I, I don't know. Obviously, the one championship changes the entire direction of right. his legacy. There's no question about that. It always does. You know, I I think the same thing could be said in baseball about Joel Madden because he got the one with the Cubs. Yep. Uh, you could talk about his style and everything he does, and you could even say the mistakes he made in Game Seven against the Indians in in that World Series. But he was able to survive it, and they won. So I think that will always be, you know, something that he can hang his hat on, that he has that championship. He has the World Series. Same with Andy Reid. Kind of just the opposite of a Bill Belichick, who you only could talk about the times he failed to win it versus the times he's won it. Or even Tom Brady on that level. You know, uh, it's just it's an amazing dichotomy of those two type things, and I think it's, it's phenomenal. But... You look at Kansas City, and I see Hill, and and I see Hardman, and I see Pringle, and I see Kelsey. I mean, I understand why you want to throw the ball. I do. <laughs> yeah. I totally do. But 
football, yeah, especially in December, January football, there's a reason you need to have a running game. There's yep. a reason why you have to use these guys, not only to shorten the game, but to give them opportunities to kind of catch their breath and be ready for the big play when it comes about. I mean, Harbin made a couple of great plays in that ball game. And, you know, he only touched the ball maybe four times. I he, think twice he, running and twice on the, on, the, on the one on the reception for 40 yards and, and the other one for that juggling catch in the end zone. And he was upset about that. Yeah. <laughs> Him and Hill kind of got into it on the sideline there. I, I think it was maybe the third quarter. Yeah. Um, yeah I, you know, Hardman was saying, hey, I'm open. I'm open every play. Yeah. Uh, you know, give me the ball. And, uh, yeah, didn't get it to him enough. So, but, you know, praise to the Bengals, man. I, I Again, I – I thought they peaked with their first playoff win. You know, I thought that was, mm-hmm. you know, the the next step for them to sure. take. Um, but man, they're in the Super Bowl. I, I, that's just crazy. You know, for a first full season uh, for Burrow. Um, I mean, that dude just exclusive. Oh my God, the confidence he has, man. It's just the the, the Browns and Steelers are in trouble for the oh, next yes. decade. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Plus, the, you I know, mean, this kid is for real. I remember when he was at Ohio State. And there was big talk about his ability then, though he couldn't crack the lineup because of the players that were in front of him. And quite honest with you, I don't have the a problem with Meyer and the choices he made because how successful Ohio State was at that right. time. He actually graduated from Ohio State before he transferred. I mean, he graduated in three years from Ohio State. I mean, this is a very intelligent young man, yeah. you know, and went down to, to Louisiana not only win the Heisman, but win a national title, and now he's in the Super Bowl. He has a chance to become the second player in NFL history to do that. The only player who's ever done it is Marcus Allen. He'd be the first quarterback to achieve that, and he'd be, like you just said, his second year in the NFL. There were times, and, and, and forgive me, I know you're a Viking fan when I say this. When he was scrambling, I kept thinking of Fran Tarkenton. I want your thoughts on that. <laughs> well, and he's been scrambling for his life. I mean, that is probably one of the worst offensive lines yeah. to get to a Super Bowl for sure. You know, obviously I'm not old enough to have watched You've seen the highlights, play, but though, I've yeah. seen the highlights. And even with my comparison, with I, I thought about Fran last night too, but it was actually uh, in relation to Mahomes and the plays oh, okay. at the yeah. end of the yeah. end of regulation when he was scrambling around, running mm-hmm. around. Oh, crazy. And he fumbled. Crazy, I mean, yeah. that's – and I actually thought Butker was going to go out and miss that kick. The so way did he I. was shaky the week <laughs> so before. I'm like, they were on the four-yard line. Now they're trying a 44-yard field goal under pressure. I mean, just how that happened, that Insanity, whole sequence is yeah. crazy. But that's where I kind of thought the, the Tarkenton comparison was. But, I, I mean, it's way, way, way early. You know, if Burrow stays healthy, I think he's going to obviously sur- surpass yeah. Tarkenton. I personally, I mean, I, I picked against him last week. I think the Bengals are going to do it now. I, I know the too. Rams were playing in their home stadium, but there's something going on there. I, I, I think they've got they've, they've got it going I'm on. I'm probably putting a huge whammy on them when I say this. Yeah, probably. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm always wrong when I make predictions anymore. But I, I, I can honestly see Cincinnati winning, not necessarily a cakewalk, but by a double-digit win. I could see a 10-plus point win with the, the matchups that they have. I know how good – the defenses for Los Angeles. And I don't want to take anything away from Arnold and all the guys that, that surround that defense because it is a quality defense. It really, truly is. I honestly think when you talk about head coaching and decision-making, it reversed to Cincinnati in a big game. Yeah, And that may be the difference coming forward 
and I think that would be uh, something that uh, we have to keep an eye on, you know, in the game. I mean, we've got two weeks for the game, but it is something that to me, when I first seen it, I said, oh, no, Cincinnati has the edge in coaching staff right now. I think it's going to be close. I, I actually even wrote down a, a score. Yeah, go ahead. I'll put it out there, and, and we'll review it in a couple of weeks. But I got 30-27 to 27 Cincinnati. Okay. Walk-off field goal. But just the, the way that the playoffs have and kind you know of what? gone, I feel like that's where we're headed. I, I think it's going to be <laughs> Forgive me, man. I can't remember names anymore. Uh, the kicker for New England back in the day. Uh, when Benetieri. Benetieri. Uh how many field goals did he have that playoffs the first year they won the Super Bowl? And he yeah. wins the Super Bowl on a field goal. Yep. And you look at McPherson and what he has done this year and what his value is to that team. 12 kicks. Oh, man, just <laughs> phenomenal. I mean, yeah. and, and the cockiness, and the cockiness of meaning of confidence. Yeah. It's not cocky meaning, uh, look at me. It's like, no, I'm going to get this job done. This I, is what I do. I didn't hear any report. I want to know if he said, yeah. Remember he said, I, hey, we're going I, to the AFC. Yeah. I wonder if he actually, before he went out, said, Looks hey. like we're going to the Super Bowl. Exactly. Uh, I haven't heard whether no, or not he did. No, I haven't either. I haven't uh, either. I'd like to think that he did, especially with a yeah. chip shot he ended up with. So. Oh, yeah. But I, I tell you what, just uh, just for the record, I was online having fun with uh, a couple of friends of mine, and they were all – I'm not a Cincinnati fan. I just really, truly believe that the, this is their opportunity, you yeah. know, and not take anything away from it. It's tough for me not to root for the Rams because – I've always been a Stafford fan. I always respected him back in days in Georgia, you know, being the first overall pick. All the ups and downs in, that he had to deal with in Detroit. And then finally having this opportunity and then making this run here in the last half of the season. Quite honest with you, on a personal level, anytime I ever had him in fantasy, he's never let me down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's one of those guys you, you, you always, you know, you're like, oh, no, I'll take Matt Stafford. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's just one of those guys that does the job. I had him in one of my leagues, too. So, yeah. yeah. No, I totally understand. And it was, and, quote, unquote, stuck with him. I yeah. mean, he was like, I right. got him in a snake round after our auction right. rounds were over. So. You know, I, I was in my fantasy football playoffs. We do it differently in most leagues. We play th- redraft round all the way to the Super Bowl, you know, knockouts as they go. So I was in the semifinals, and – I had the third overall pick, and there were two picks in front of me. Uh, they decided to keep players that they had. One was Cooper Cup, and the other one was Joe Mixon, and he had uh, Hill. So he kept two players on, on the second team. I had draft three. Well, I immediately says, well, I'm taking Mahomes. I'm, I'm taking the best player on the board. And in the first half, I was so happy. <laughs> I thought I thought he was off to a 40, 45-point game, and he might just lead me into the, into the promised land. But I only had about a 20-point lead going into the second game, and that, it didn't last. <laughs> but uh, on a side note, but uh, it was, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Joe Mixon is also a player on that team that does not get the recognition as a football player that he is and what he means to that team. And there's where I'm wondering if the Rams will do that. Could they rely enough on Akers? I don't think they did in the game. And I don't think they relied enough on – I mean, they have the two running backs. They got Michelle and they got him. But because they do have the outside game and you do have a quarterback you know, in Stafford, it's – I mean, it's the kind of same thing as Kansas City on that level. When do you – how do you – how do you balance that? Because – you know, obviously the weather should be very good in, in Los Angeles. So I'm sometimes excited. you forget 
Yeah. I'm more excited about the halftime show. <laughs> uh, <you laughs> Who know, is the halftime show? I'm in that show? generation. Uh, oh, Eminem, Dr. Dre. Oh, Eminem. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Old school hip hop. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with, I guess. So I understand. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited for that. Yeah, sure. I don't blame you. And, and I can finally say, you know, it's been a while since uh, I could say I, I'm not going to be upset no matter who wins. Like, I truly have no, no problem with I the Rams. I like staff. Yeah. Uh, I like what the Bengals got going on, too. So, I mean, it's one of the Super Bowls I could finally just watch it and just enjoy, enjoy. It. Yeah, exactly. the game without stressing on who's going to win. Ha- you don't have to. You don't have any personal hate like a Brady right. hate for yeah. you know 10 of the last 20 Super Bowls. <laughs> yep. So what what did you think of the the Rams Niners game? Uh it was what I expected. I thought the defense would really dominate both games. Remember I was talking about that yep. last week with you. I thought both defenses could do it. When the Niners were up 10, 17 to 7. When they scored that touchdown, I think it was to Kittle. And I'm like they might just do this. I thought moment I thought you know, the momentum was going their way. The defense was playing strong enough that they might just squeak by and pull this off. Yep. And then you seen, really, I thought Stafford and the offense, you know, come alive and really make some plays when they needed them. McVeigh, I don't know about that guy as a coach. I, he's the second Super Bowl. Give him credit where credit's due. Yeah. This is the second time he's taken with two different quarterbacks. So you got to give him credit where credit's due. I just sometimes don't like the decisions he makes. Yeah. And we'll see how he does this one around. He, right. He pretty much laid an egg. Uh, you know, the last Super Bowl he was in. Right. Had a great offense. And it was a boring Super points. Bowl. With it, it, it was, yeah. It was one of the most boring Super Bowls we've seen in years. You know, that day when New England did, what, it was like 16-3 or something. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, it was, a, all right. I'm watching it because it's a Super Bowl, but. Any other day, I would have turned this off. <laughs> I, I've never been a 49ers fan. You know, I'm still I'm old enough to remember, you know, some of their dominant years sure. uh, in the 80s and 90s. And, uh, you know, they, they just became another great team that I just despised because mine was a lovable loser. But the one thing, and again, I was rooting for them against Dallas because I liked their matchup with Green Bay. And as soon as they beat Green Bay, I'm like, okay, you can go away now. Uh, but as I was watching that game, when they built that 10-point lead that you mentioned, I was impressed by the toughness of the 49ers. I mean, that team, like yes. just the extra effort on you know, every running play, every defensive play, like Debo Samuel is a beast. I mean, it, I, that's what I'm like. I almost got to the point where I'm like, I'm kind of like rooting for them to just finish it off now. Like the Rams obviously won that game because they just have more talent on the field, but the Niners, man, I mean, that team, the, the schemes that Shanahan has and that defense, you know, the, the Vikings are linked to, you know, D'Amico Ryan's, you know, possibly being the head coach. And as much as I'd want the Jim Harbaugh thing to happen, um, <laughs> I, I'm being re- realistic. I don't know if we can do that. Uh, I don't know if we're gonna have the money, you know, to compete right. with the Dolphins on it. Um, but I would be extremely ecstatic to get anybody that's affiliated with that current 49ers team. Oh, to come yeah. to Minnesota. Oh, Just yeah. the way the they culture run. is there and the way that they, they play. Uh, I'd, I would be excited if they got and you know, got Ryan's. you got to give credit for, to uh, the Niners and what they achieved this year. And uh, Jimmy G is so average at best. When they made that trade for him, everyone was excited because he showed a lot of potential when he was in New England under that offense. Yeah. And then you figure you add that type of talent to Shanahan. Oh, my God. You know, you're gonna, you, this, he's ready to explode, and just the opposite kind of happened. He had one injury, and since then has been really a wavy guy, you know, up and down, not necessarily, or plateaued maybe is a better word uh, for him. 
but Samuels, what he can do as an athlete on a football field, you don't see very often. No. A guy who can be a running back and a wide receiver uh, and be successful at both positions at the same time. And then you, you add Kittle, who's really a great, great tight end that fits that system perfectly. If they makes you wonder if Luck is the right guy for them in the future or not. Uh, and it makes you wonder if they won this game, does Luck become available? Because I mean, how do you move on from a guy who got you to the Super Bowl? Right. But it obviously didn't happen. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a different storyline there completely. I can't wrap my head around Garoppolo either. I, it's, yeah. it's, he's got – you can't argue with the win-loss record. No, um, can't. It was almost – I wish Anthony was on because I'd ask him. Uh, I'd be curious to how he felt about Tebow when Tebow was there. Right. Same, like, same thing. It wasn't impressive. Didn't but put they up won. the numbers, but they won football games. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'd put Garoppolo kind of in that category a little bit that – I. They almost, I feel like they win despite him. Right. Um, so I, I just wonder how they would be if they had a great quarterback. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you can't argue with the guy's win loss record. If he does go somewhere else and that team succeeds, then I think you make the right, argument right. that he's, he's, he's a good quarterback if he can prove it somewhere else, you know? And that's where I think his career is right now, is just actually getting credit for his win loss record and leading a team and being. A, you know, the focus point of that team, not making mistakes. He didn't really make terrible. He made some bad passes. He got away with. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he threw behind players and threw right at defenders at times and got away with it. Overall, San Francisco is a team that has the potential to be hanging around for a long time. In the next, you know, three, four years, there's a lot of talent there. And uh, I think uh, I was never a big Shanahan fan. Even when he was with the Browns, I thought overrated. That's what I thought. You know, he's he's the son of a, a coach, mm-hmm. overrated. Went down to Atlanta, and he gets a lot of blame for that Super Bowl. Well, he loss. does because he stopped running the ball. Yeah, you know, when they had that twenty-eight to three lead, and he blew it because he kept one. He kind of had that Andy Reid syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, where you know incomplete passes extends the ball game. You know, and. You know, three and outs are not your your friend in football when you're yeah. up big. You want to grind it. You want to make it a short game in the second half because, as I spoke last week, it's a time game. Mm-hmm. You know, zero 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 matters. You know, when the clock's at zeros, it matters, and you have to take advantage of that. Maybe I think he, he learned from his mistakes. Yeah, because I, I honestly all the do. Time now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think he has, and I think he's proven his worth as a, as a head coach what he's achieved in the last few years. He definitely needs a quarterback who can, uh, I think, more man. I mean, he got the best years in the world out of Ryan in Atlanta. And, you know, yeah. I don't think Ryan, anybody writes home and says, oh, this is a great quarterback. I think he would say above average. Mm-hmm. You know, and he had a, a Hall of Fame year. Not a career, but a Hall of Fame year. Right. That year that they went to the Super Bowl. Yep. And uh, was- to, yeah. How about the taunting call in the third quarter? I feel like that – I mean, if you want to point yeah. – you know, we could point to right. you know, the game changer in the Chiefs-Bengals game. But that, to me I, – I, I'm not saying that the Rams wouldn't have gone down and scored, but everything was going good. Yeah. They got a stop on that first down. And the taunting penalty, it probably was one, but it's, it's just getting to that point now where you – know, I don't <laughs> like 
I understand the unsportsmanlike conduct type calls. But I don't want them to affect the game where you're really changing the, the field. And a 15-yard penalty changes the field. Yeah. You know, and extends drives. And it won't. It was, I, this know, is one that right. it wasn't. It was you can point to ones where right. maybe it's a third down play right. that you make a right. stop. Yeah, right. They call taunting and extends it. Those are the ones that are They're really, really crushing. Backbreakers. Yeah. yeah. This one, it was still going to be second and eight, second and nine. Yeah, whatever. but it's a first down and they're moving 15 yards. Exactly. You know, that's yep. the difference. So anytime you're moving forward and you're getting in a first automatic first down, that extends a drive. You know, because we don't know what would happen on second and eight. We don't know if they would have gone backwards or forward. I mean, those are unknowns that we can't right. even – we could say do the what-if game, but it doesn't matter. It, yeah. You know, it doesn't play in, in what what took place. Uh, I'm just not a big fan. I mean, there are times where you have to do it as an official, and I get it. And you have to have control of a ball game. and. That's what those penalties are for, yeah. for the officials not to lose control of a ball game. Right. And I get it. I do. I understand it completely. I'm just not a big fan in a championship-style game yeah. seeing penalties like that. That's just like in college football where they have the targeting rule and the kid gets ejected. I hate that rule. Yeah. I don't have a problem with a 15-yard penalty, but ejecting a player in the first quarter, second quarter, fourth quarter, whatever it may be, and then making him sit the next game if he does play. If it's not a playoff game, All right. it's just it's yeah, just wrong. How either. many players have we seen at the collegiate level lose their last game they ever played because of a targeting call? I mean, there's many. Yeah, you know, and and that's just to me. When the lawyers get involved in football, that's when you get play calls like that. In unfortunately, yeah. that's what we got. I know it's a totally different subject, but sometimes I. I do this, Kevin. I go on a tangent. <laughs> I have to have to get my say in on yeah. that. But um, back to the Niners game. Yeah, give credit. I mean, <laughs> they did miss a call on Warner yeah. uh, in the first yeah. half. I hit laid in on Stafford. That yeah. was yeah. kind of cheap. I wasn't it was. real happy with that. But uh, they, they did miss that call. Protecting so. quarterbacks, I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's just part of football. We've all seen it forever. So, I mean, you're going to get those calls. The rougher and passer and stuff like that. And, you know, you, a guy, you know, goes into a slide and gets hit. Or after he slides, he gets hit. Yeah, sometimes it's a really cheap call. Yep. But they're going to call it every time. Yep. And as long as they call it every time, no matter who's involved, I don't have a problem with it. I may not, you know, I may shake my head like, is that really a penalty? But you, I can accept it. Because if they're doing it properly, you're going to get, both teams are going to get that same call. Right. It's when you don't see it that you're like, well, now wait a minute. <laughs> you know, yeah. You get the the, the all star factor, as I like to call it. Well, I finally nailed one of my preseason Super Bowl picks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had the Rams <laughs> beginning of the year. So you I jumped go, off. Yeah. About yeah. halfway through, when they hit a little bit of a slide, uh, when they got Beckham, I wasn't convinced. I'm like, oh no. Uh, but uh, it, yeah, I mean, so at least uh, at least I got this, it right. I stuck with it. But now I am picking against them. This uh, anti Beckham mentality in Northeast Ohio drives me crazy. <laughs> I'm not saying he's a great guy. I'm not even, but, and quite honestly, his talent and the system they were running didn't match. And that was a concern from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah I thought that when, he, when they took him in the first place. Did he force his way out? Of course he forced his way out. Was it the best scenario for for the team or the player? It was best for the player. It wasn't best for the team. Because you look at the Browns, after they lost Beckham, they really weren't the same team. Because mm-hmm. you do 
I mean, anytime you lose a town of that level, it costs your team depth and ability to make a play. Yeah. And and even if he wasn't personally right. putting up the numbers that Browns fans expected, you, ha- you still have to respect. He was talent. drawing attention. Exactly. That's the point. You yeah. Know? Exactly. And yeah. Uh, you can be upset. I just don't get us up to the player because it's not one player that made the Rams get to the Super Bowl. He wasn't the missing no. ingredient. Now, did he have an impact on that team? Yeah, he yeah. scored six touchdowns. He's a hell of a compliment yeah. to who might be the best receiver. Well, that's in the football thing. Right you now. got you got the best receiver right now in football in Cooper Cup, and you had Woods on the other side. He goes down with an injury, and you fill him in with with a Beckham. Oh my God! I mean, yeah. that's a perfect case scenario if you're a team that loses, you know, a Woods as a wideout who was yeah. the perfect complement to Cooper Cup at that time. So. Yeah, that don't happen very often, but give the Rams credit, too. Every team's built differently. Most teams built through the draft and some free agency or slash trades. They really worked the trade market yeah, and the free agent market, and that is unique in the NFL. You don't see that built that way too often. Right. But that entire team, you know, Stafford and. All of them. You could, you know, Arnold. There's so many that you could talk about how, how they got them and what they did to get them. It's, it's really impressive when you think about it because when they were giving all those draft picks away from, I'm like, are they nuts? You know, all this stuff. Uh, they kind of be crazy, you know, and they did it routinely every year. They never had a first round draft pick for like the last five years. I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, it really is the way they built that team is unique. In the NFL standards. Right. In baseball, that's nothing new. You know, some teams are built up through the trade and, and taking advantage of another team's talent. Rams? Well, in the NFL? That's that's really And the, the Bengals have built through the drafts. So right. Right. Two yeah, two different. Yeah. yeah. And we're both picking the Bengals. Yeah. I'm taking So, so Rams I'll, by seven is what we're Yeah, That's the smart play? <laughs> that's, I, 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 seen, I seen the odds come out immediately after the games. Yeah, what is the line? I, I, I see. Three and a half and four, depending on who you talk. And usually, they always say the and home it, the home team gets three points, which right. And the, so the Bengals are getting four. I heard. Okay. Uh, I was like, take the points and run, because uh, I says they're going to win by ten. Take the points and run. You got a fourteen point you know, lead in my eyes. So I was online the other day, and, and or actually this morning, and uh, someone was saying it's going to be a boring Super Bowl. The Rams are going to blow them out. I says I, I have totally different opinion, and I said totally different opinion, just the opposite. I says, since you said a blowout, I said, I'll give you a blowout backwards. I says, 34-17 Bengals. Wow. Okay. So you, so you I'll go with that. All right. It's a little, it's a little bigger it. than I expected to say when I did it. but I, I got 30-27. I, 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 yeah. I think the NFL is, I, again, I'm not going yeah. out saying a fix. I'm uh, saying that. They want a close game. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, it, calls will all predict. All sports or, wants close games because it brings drama in viewers. Yeah. Obviously, the worst case scenario is like the Bears Super Bowl, where they it was not even a, yeah. a contest in the first quarter, you know, where it's over in the first ten minutes. I mean, you, that's the worst case scenario. You don't ever want which that. a lot of them were. Yeah, for for a long right. time there was like ten years that was just nothing but a, a blowout, and you know, what the Broncos were the in the Bills. Between those two teams, I mean, yeah. there were six blowouts. Yeah, <laughs> oh, the Bron- I mean, think. The uh, the Bills' first game against the Giants was down yep. at a wire where they had the field goal to win it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you just don't see that. Yeah, I don't think there's. Yeah, that was so that would have been ninety. 
And then I don't think there was a, a yeah. good one until 98 when yeah. Denver and Green Bay played. So, yeah. Yeah, and that was you know the first few years of me getting into football. Yeah, and yeah the Super Bowl always felt it like a letdown. my age. I can go all the way back to Fran Tarkenton and, and, and the game that everyone against the Oakland Raiders and all that, you know, or the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, Super Bowl Twenty Two is my first memory. So I got I, at least ten years on or twelve, a dozen years at least of Super Bowls, if not more. Uh, I know my dad's smiling out there now. He'll probably pop in the old VHS of. Super Bowl 22 and watch Doug Williams and Timmy Smith. I'll tell you what. (laughs) I'm glad Anthony's not on. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. What a a memories. It's amazing. You think about different games. And I'll be honest, as I've gotten older, it's tougher for me to remember everything. I just kind of go in between like, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. Now I remember that. You bring up the names, and all of a sudden it floods back to me. And I'm like, oh, geez, yeah, I remember that Super Bowl. And, you know, obviously uh, uh, the Redskins just had a great run back in the day. And, of course, Oakland had that run in the 80s. And, you know, there's so many teams that have. And that's usually the way it works. You get a run. Yeah. Uh, The extended run that New England had is very rare. Usually you have a Super Bowl window about two to three years for most teams. Where you have you're playing at your highest level, that you're a contender for a Super Bowl, you know, and that's probably like we're talking about Green Bay, getting to th- all these t- NFC Championship games and failing in the last what four of them. Yep. It's just it's it's shocking to see on 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 a sports level to see a team succeed at that level they have and keep continuing. To, to fail in, in one of the biggest games. It's going to be tough for them to keep up now. Yeah. You know, no, yeah, you just – sooner or later, the curve comes down. It's just yep. it, There's no way around it. Anything else you want to talk about those two games? Anything? I th- okay, I want to make sure you're, you're cool. I'm, I'm good with – yeah, All I'm right. good with moving on there. And yeah, so like I mentioned at the top, uh, we, this is when we were going to bring in Eric in and talk uh, about the Hall of Fame – voting but we're going to have eric on a little bit later i'm going to talk to him tomorrow and so this will be delayed but you won't know this because there is no on-time podcast everything's just delayed because there is no time period i don't i don't, I don't <laughs> say it's going to be out tuesday at three o'clock nah yeah. not going to happen at least not in my book so i want you to listen to this okay. and it'll kind of set up what we're going to talk about the hall of fame the players that are going in the voting and just the whole system. So uh, this is from Baseball Tonight, the podcast with Buster Oli. Okay. And you'll see why I'm playing it right off the top. All right. Let's go to the tweets here. Uh, Tim Continenza at Tim Continenza writes in, what used to be a day of celebration of Major League Baseball has turned into a very sad day. I am heartbroken for the game I loved. What a shame. Loved, I think, is the operative word there. Past tense. Yeah. Uh, so I want to hear from you guys what you thought about happened, uh, what your perspective was in the Hall of Fame voting announced yesterday. Taylor? I mean, it's just it's preposterous that David Ortiz could be allowed in. But uh, everyone else has taken a hard line on PEDs with all the other players that, uh, you know, arguably saved the sport from a relevancy crisis that it is again creating for itself. So it's it's preposterous and i mean this is this is what it was all day yesterday everyone's just sad for the sport and the state that it's in and this is just piling on on top of all the the labor stuff yeah sarah what do you think yeah i agree i think if you're gonna set the precedent then it has to apply to everybody you can't make exceptions 
for someone like David Ortiz, but then not do the same for Barry Bonds. I just think that if it's going to be the same, it has to be the same across the board. I've laughed over the last seven years the logic at the logic pretzel that I, you see writers go into to say, well, I, you know, I'm voting for this guy, but I'm not voting for Sammy Sosa because of this. <laughs> or I'm voting for this. It's like, can you please stop? Here's the other thing, too, that drives me crazy. I use the, you know, the term, you know, the, the fact that the, the writers uh, have been deputized, the retroactive morality police. Guys, the, the, ma- the baseball writers went to the Hall of Fame uh, years ago and asked for guidance when it comes to came to the steroid era candidates. And the Hall of Fame's response was, nah, we're not going to give you any guidance. You guys take care of it. It was like the Hall of Fame stacked up the writers in front of the hall like like bags of sand. Like, <laughs> here, you guys take the brunt of the criticism. We're not going to get involved. I can't believe that you have all these writers who've allowed that to happen. That is a great point. And I'm, I, I feel like that that's something that we did not see in dis- the discussion yesterday. And I don't know why these writers don't come out and say it if that's what they're, you know, that's what's happening. Because I wouldn't want to. Well, be you like know what either. you can do if you don't like it and they shouldn't like it. You know, the making news don't participate. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I stopped seven years ago. Jeff Passon stopped. I know some other writers have stopped because it's not a good place for a journalist to be to be making the news. Mm-hmm. That happened, uh, I think, Monday of last week or Tuesday of last week. I'm not sure exact. I think Monday was the announcement of the uh, Hall of Fame. And Tuesday or Wednesday, that podcast was recorded. And I, that night of the announcement, I made that tweet. Um, and uh, they selected it. So that was, that was kind of cool. That's really cool, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I said, oh, we'll have to use that on the podcast. So <laughs> technically, and, and not even technically, honestly, uh, that is courtesy of ESPN. They didn't give me rights yet, but, you know. I'll let them worry about my little <laughs> Northeast Ohio podcast. I think I think I'll be okay. Yeah, I could be wrong, but yeah, let's give credit where credit too. He did. <laughs> so you're good. <laughs> so, anyways, um, the Hall of Fame came about. David Ortiz, as you just heard, was voted in by the by the writers. He had 77 percent of the vote, needed at least 75. Uh, met the threshold by a couple percent. He is. Uh, let's be honest. Back when they did the very first testing in Major League Baseball, it was supposed to be all anonymous and all that. Uh, good reporters are good reporters. They're going to find out who was on the list. They did. One of those players on that list was David Ortiz. Never tested positive again. Denied it. He denied did, it. He denied the ball. Right. Obviously right. denied it because technically and morally he could say that because it was quote unquote anonymous. It was supposed to be anonymous. But Obviously, the paper trail, it's it's known. I mean, it's yeah. a fact. I mean, we can. It, it's just like tomorrow, you know, is another day. It's a fact that he did. But he's not the only one. There's many of them. Matter of fact, you look at the baseball ballot. I don't have the entire ballot in front of me. But we could probably say right now, at least the last eight to ten years, it's been filled with those who've been accused of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the first one that I can remember who had some... Allegations against that could be proven that that he's the first to get in. So I, let me ask you this: What were your thoughts about him getting in, and just your thoughts in in general about baseball? And we'll get more into it. Sure. Yeah, I got plenty of thoughts on this for sure. But my first first reaction, and, I, and again, I've got plenty to say about really both hall the Hall of Fames with the NFL and yeah, good. Major League Baseball. But the first thought with Ortiz getting in on the first ballot. 
okay, I immediately wanted to see – let me see the numbers, okay? We obviously know Bonds was going to have a hard time getting in, okay? Mm-hmm. Should be in. Should have been first ballot, not 9 or 10. So, I got some numbers here, okay? So, war. Bonds, 164.4. That's second all-time behind Babe yeah. Ruth, okay? Ortiz is 51.0. That's 182nd in all-time major league. Ortiz, 541 home runs, Bonds, 762. Ortiz has 1,768 RBIs, Bonds has 2,558. Batting average, all-time Ortiz is 286, Bonds is 298. Ortiz was a DH, Bonds has eight gold gloves. Ortiz has never won the MVP. Barry Bonds won it seven times, okay? Ortiz failed a steroid test in 2003, Bonds... Although we know, just by looking at photographic evidence, we're pretty sure he used steroids. Never actually flunked a yeah, steroid test. Yeah, he, so he, he avoided that. How? I, I mean, I don't because Ortiz has a, yeah. a nice smile. I mean, yeah, you know, it is. And it has a lot to do with the relationship a player has with the writers. Yeah. Because the writers are the only ones who vote players in other than like the Veterans Club. And we'll talk about that yeah. a little bit later. So your first avenue is through the writers. And that only includes those like Eric, who covers teams. And there's like, you have to be part of the Baseball Writers Association of America to get a ballot. And all those members can vote. Now, take it to the next step. If you're a play-by-play guy on the radio and television for the last 15 years covering all, all the, you don't get a vote. Uh, if you're ESPN, you're not writing about it like Buster only, like he said he did at one time and, and refused to be part of it. Um, and and others who, who basically said, no, I'm not going to be involved in that. You see the problem you get because Baseball Writers Association always has in the past used this as a little card to get back at players who were not necessarily cooperative with them. Or we're standoff with them. Like, for example, I'll use, you know, Eddie Murray. His time in Baltimore from a very young age until he left Baltimore. And he even ended his career back in Baltimore. But my point is the teams that he played for was really, really camera shy, interview shy, didn't trust the, the writers. He got in. I don't think it was the first ballot. I don't remember exactly. I could be wrong, but I'm going to use him as an example. And it took maybe two, three years for him to get in. I, I'm probably 100% wrong now. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. But there's others. They made him wait a year or two. Because winning on the first ballot was supposed to be a special event for the elite. Like Jim Tomey was yeah. prior. I think the last one. Uh, there may have been a pitcher or two in the last couple. But there have been a very few. They're a first ballot Hall of Fame. Chipper, Chipper, Jones. Chipper. Yeah. Thank you, Chipper. Perfect example. He's my favorite player. So well, no, I ain't no. gonna forget that. No, one. no, absolutely. <laughs> no, he's he's yeah. fantastic. I mean, he's he's to me a definition of Hall of. Those two we just mentioned, Jim Tomey and and uh, Chipper Jones. Uh, I think they went in together. They were. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, both of them were phenomenal and deserved their 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 moment as first ballot Hall of Famers. 
He real quick, huge shout out to Chipper Jones' wife being pregnant for the induction so that he could go first because yes. she was due any day, yes. and I yes. was there in like ninety five oh, degree heat. Oh wow! So the fact that he got to go first, I got to skip out, and, and I felt <laughs> bad because I, I really wanted. You know, I was there with my wife, right. and, and it was hot, and oh, we had sure. been there all weekend. So I wanted to see Tomei because you know I I grew up with that Indians sure. team, and I would have liked to have seen his speech. But I knew at that point he was going last. So I wasn't sitting through Jack Morris and Alan Trammell. Yeah. I mean, no offense to those guys. No, but no like, not taking And you should have seen how many people flocked out of there when, when Chipper was done. But, man, I'm so glad that she was pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I didn't have to sit there yeah, for Yeah, because he might have been second to last or last. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably, I think he would have been last. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> no, no, it's true. But it is a honor to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And it's something that they actually do recognize in the Hall of Fame, I believe. Uh, and then, you know, when they introduce someone, first time, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame or such and such. Yeah. That's how they kind of introduce them. I don't think it's on a plaque or anything like that. Uh, but it is kind of how it has always been done. David Ortiz had a Hall of Fame career. I ain't going to take that away from him. And I don't have a problem with him being a DH on this level. DH has been part of baseball for 50 years. So sooner or later, somebody was going to be recognize the position that it was yeah. you know it's a hell of a lot better than harold baines well yeah. and baines is in and, and, and harold and baines yeah, yeah. That, and harold baines there are players who are hires uh they they basically build up their stats because of the amount of years they play harold baines was a very successful player now there are a lot of those that you could say are marginal that got in over the years and you could say their war and all that and, and it's yeah. legit don't get me wrong um, well, speaking of that, real quick, yeah, while we're ahead. on Baines, yeah. uh, never finished higher than ninth in MVP voting. His war, 38.7, which yeah. career-wise puts him right in the middle between Lawrence Lorenzo Cain and Jason Hayward. Yeah, I mean, so, he was a complier. A yeah, but I'm saying, yeah. are Lorenzo Cain and Jason Hayward all of it? Yeah, yeah. No. So there, I, there, No, there's, there's a legitimate argument. I have no problem. And would I have voted for him? I think I would have. Because I remember watching him play, and I remember with the White Sox and Baltimore and, and how successful he was and how hard of an out he was. Now, is, was he the best of the best? You can make that argument. I mean, that's the argument about the Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame is about the best of the best. I'll make this argument. Matter of fact, I'll just go through this real quick. Sure. Let's look at Eric's ballot. These are the, the 10 that Eric voted for this past year. Barry Bonds. Roger Clemens, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, A-Rod, Rollins, Schilling, Sheffield, Sosa, and Wagner. I, I, I can't argue with any of them. If there's one, I will say you can make an argument both for, and, and I, my argument is kind of what you just made about Baines, is maybe he belongs in the Hall of Very Good yeah. versus the Hall of Fame. And to me, Kirk Schilling's in that in that thing. Now, Kurt Schilling has a really good war for a pitcher. I think it's 79, and he's top 25 or top 30 in, in war, which is really phenomenal. But 211 wins or 216 wins, something like that. Yeah. And not phenomenal, but not outrageous. There's so many pitchers in that category. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you determine, like, for example, if Kurt Schilling gets in, and I'm going to use a player that you've never seen, why wasn't Louis Tion ever put in? Louis Tiant won Cy Young. He won 20 games. Uh, pitched for the Yankees, pitched for the Indians, pitched for the A's, pitched for a lot of teams um, over in his career. Has, I think, 229 wins. 
has, you know, 13 more wins. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are so many players of that category. Right. If you put him in, why isn't Oral Hershire in? Because of the, the playoff runs that he had with the Dodgers, leading them to the World Series. Or even in 95, helping the Indians get to the World Series. And, and the way baseball is played now, you're not going to get – pitchers aren't going to approach those – Numbers, it's going to be anymore. difficult. Yeah. It's going to be difficult. Yeah, Cle- and, and you, that's, said, you mentioned Clemens. Clemens has 354. That's ninth third highest that's war for a pitcher. Yeah, I mean, there's and he took the high road. You know, yeah, he, he, he did make a comment that he, he played did. for championships, not to be in a Hall of Fame. He's, you know, he did kind take, of closed the door on it. Um, maybe not to the level that right. To did for the NFL, but well, there's no question. Um, if you, you know, Bonds, Clemens, Ramirez, A-Rod. All of those are. Yeah, they're yeah. all Hall of Famers. Sheffield, Wagner, Sosa. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah Tell so, me one yeah. that you would, you would not, what he, what numbers and what they did for their career did not earn that vote for the Hall of Fame. Right. I mean, I like I said, his entire list, I agree with. I mean, I don't have a problem yeah. if you voted for Schilling. I can make a case against it, and I think it's strong enough to say he's in the Hall of Very Good. I think he had some wonderful postseason games and helped the Red Sox to win, helped the uh, Arizona to win, brought Philadelphia to a World Series. I don't want to take anything away, but when you look at a player, when you talk about his stats, we're talking about regular season. Right. The 162 game regular season. I guess I'd have Cause, to because not every t- every player has the opportunity to play in that many postseason games. Now there's more postseason games today than there was 20 years ago or 30 years ago because of the change in formats. Right. But I think you have to really look at regular season performances. I don't say you can't say postseason doesn't matter because it does. It has an effect, but I don't think you can overweight the postseason because they're short, se- they're short series and, you know, one big run. I mean, he was 5-0 and in the postseason and all that good stuff. But he, you know what? He did, Philadelphia had a really good team, and he didn't win the World Series when Philadelphia was there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the leader of that team, but it didn't happen. Um, I'm not trying to take it away from what he has achieved. I just wonder if he's in that Hall of Very Good versus the Hall of Fame. And you know, Jack Morris, you brought him up, you know, uh, the inducting that he went to. Jack Morris, 250 games in his career. Uh, if you want to go by postseason, I mean, what he did with the Twins, should get him in no matter what, yeah. right? And just that one series. Uh, and he won World Series with Detroit, led Detroit to the World Series with Minnesota and Toronto. And Toronto yep. So, I mean, you we could talk about postseason play, and you could – I think you can give credit to it, but I don't think you can weigh it entirely on postseason play because not every player has that opportunity because especially the way baseball's organized today or is set up, if you are, which doesn't happen nowadays, but let's just say you spend 10 years in Detroit now, are you really? You know, you might put up phenomenal numbers, but are you going to get any postseason games? Or, you know, if you're Baltimore, which, of course, you wouldn't be there that long. They would trade you away and everything else. But that's my whole my whole thing. I mean, you, you'll find players with certain organizations like Atlanta and New York and others that will keep players because they can afford it and do it. Yeah. Or, they'll you know, like Chipper Jones came up through the organization and never left it, which is unique. You know, Jim Tomey came up through the Indians, but he didn't stay. 
You know, he went to Philadelphia. He went to the White Sox. You know, he came back to Cleveland, played a little in Minnesota. I mean, he played for um, quite a few teams when you look at the numbers. But that's just the way organizations are structured today. Right. The smaller market teams, chance of them keeping a player beyond seven, eight years gets more diminished each year as that number grows. And I just, you know, that's something that I, I, keep, in, I keep in mind because – I look at the Hall of Fame, and I want the best of the best. I want the elites, you know, to be recognized as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Well, and, and I just don't know. And I see players like, I'll use another player, you know, Kirk Schilling, a, a, a fair comparison. He was on the ballot one year, and he got dropped off. was Kevin, Kevin Brown. He had like 230 wins in his career. Uh, for about five, six-year period, there was not a better pitcher in baseball. That's about the only player on, on his list that I think you can make a legitimate case for and against. And everything, everybody else, I, I mean, I would never complain. If I seen anybody with that list, I'd say, well, that's good. Yeah. And, and maybe nine out of the ten had a uh, controversy of, of, of PEDs. So I, I, I will go on the record and say, you know, I think I may have talked last week and said, you know, the NFL is my favorite sport to watch. Sure. Okay. Baseball of the four major sports is probably third, mm-hmm. you know, some fourth maybe. But they, their Hall of Fame, just the experience of the actual museum, exactly. sure, uh, the town, you know, even the drive up there, you know, right. with you know Central New York, it's beautiful. It's my favorite. Okay, I, I think it puts the NFL Hall of Fame to shame. But I don't think I'm ever going again. I mean, I went. Obviously, to see Chipper Jones. Right. I went a year after that to kind of see his plaque, kind of rode my motorcycle with my dad to have a good weekend up there. But until some of these guys that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame get in, I'm not going back. Yeah. Um, there's a sign when you first walk into the Hall of Fame that um, it's three paragraphs long. It's all, I'm not going to quote it, but it talks about the first paragraph, how players are in the Hall of Fame for their accomplishments in the game. Okay. The second paragraph says areas of the Hall of Fame address the totality of their careers. And then the last paragraph talks about it's the Hall of Fame's mission to preserve the history, which is what we seek to do throughout the museum. So how (laughs) can you not have Barry Bonds, Pete Rose, who's the all-time hits leader, Shoeless Joe Jackson with a three fifty six lifetime batting average, Dave Parker, and Parker's not in because of his cocaine use. Right. How can you not have these guys in and just simply, I mean, if you want to make, and, and maybe it's easier to do for the steroid era because there's a long list, you know, to Eric's Eric's point, his list, pretty much most of those guys on there yeah. are linked to, to PEDs. Absolutely, 100%. Make a separate room. If, it, if it's got to say, this is the steroid era, so be it. But just, that's all you have to do. Is I'm just, in total agreement that, the Hall of Fames are museums of history. I don't care if it's baseball or basketball or football or boxing, whatever Hall of Fame you're talking about, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Whatever you're saying, they're museums of history, just on a certain subject. It doesn't. You can, as you just said, you don't even have to denote it on his plaque, but you can have an era where you're going to say, this is what happened in baseball between... Let's just use a, a generation to say from 1985 to 1995, you know, or 19 or for, for that to 2000 or 2005, whatever we say, a 20 year period where 
performance-enhancing drugs became a big part of the game. And many players were accused. Not all were found to be proven users, but has been linked to. And you can tell the story of how baseball had to deal with that. And you could talk about the congressional hearings and other things that happened during that time period. Right. Raphael Palmero. If David Ortiz can go in, Raphael Palmero can go in. He has 3,000 hits. And Raphael Palmero, I'm not defending him, but he was the first player to be blackballed. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that was he was the first player to really be of, of a name to be caught after that initial year where David Ortiz is linked to. So there are many uh, who belong in the Hall of Fame. Now, Pete Rose, as a player, and his numbers, 100%. Okay? I agree. Now, Pete Rose also violated the number one rule in baseball. Going, you know, in his era. Now, today with online betting and everything else, it's a totally different world we live in than it was in 1975 or 1985 when that, that happened. He, he would have just bet more, let's be right. honest. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would have been easier. Exactly. Yeah. But also, we have to remember the writers never voted on him. Baseball prevented him from yeah. being on the ballot. So, Major League Baseball has a vendetta against Pete Rose. Like it or not, you can you can agree with it, you can disagree with it, you can make a case for both. And I'm and I totally get whatever side you may be on. But Pete Rose dug his own hole. Yeah. And he's never been able to come out of it. And baseball piled on by not allowing him the writers to make this choice. The writers have made a choice here. Right right or wrong, they've made a choice because Major League Baseball did this. We're punning. Yeah. We're 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 gonna give it to you right. to make that decision. And then We'll let the next generation, the the veterans uh, committee, kind of deal with it or wh- whatever they call it nowadays. Right. But uh, you know, with the players that didn't get voted in, and there's a bunch of them actually going into the Hall of Fame this year, along with with uh, Ortiz. You know, Buck O'Neill, Gil Hodges, Minnie Moroso, Tony Olivia, Jim Cotts finally getting into the Hall of Fame, Bud Flowers going into the Hall of Fame. So there's quite a few who never made mustard and passed the, the the smell test of the Hall of Fame through the Baseball Writers Association are getting a second opportunity here. I imagine when th- that list that Eric has, when they become eligible for that, they're all going in. I yeah. really, truly do. Now, the the thing is, well, their the numbers com- aren't changing. They're all no. retired. Yeah. You know that was that's the the craziest thing in the world. I remember Burp Lylevin when he went in, one of my favorite players, and he when he went in, I think it was his eighth year on the ballot or ninth year on the ballot. He was getting towards the end of the ballot, and he finally went in. He goes, "It's funny." He goes, "My numbers haven't changed since I retired, <laughs> but my percentage of getting votes has." <laughs> He goes, as I got older, I got more votes. But I haven't won one more game in the major leagues in, you know, in 10 years or 15 years. Kind of you know, and that's how it works. It's, it's a strange system that, that works. And like I said, I think the writers sometimes, you know, a, like, a, like a Bob Ryan, they, they revere their notoriety to that. And right or wrong, some yeah, of them are right, some I, of them are wrong, and some of them 
uh, like I said, they're old school guys. Some of them are really old school guys like Ryan. I'll use him as an example and more of a new school guy and, and Eric. But that's where we're at. Yep. And, and, I, and I brought up the point when I came here today that, you know, Bob Ryan put it out there that he's pushing the blame to, on, Major League, on Major League Baseball that, oh, you know, part of the criteria is integrity of the game, and that's what we needed to take in consideration. So he didn't come out and say, no, I didn't vote for Bonds, but he's, he's basically saying that. Um, I mean, I read through some of the comments. Some right. of them were pretty nasty, but uh, and I would never go that far, um, you know, to, to say that. But I kind of feel like he's being bullish with that a little bit. You know, the the thing with the steroid era is this is the the biggest problem that I have with it is that Major League Baseball immortalized it. Okay, and a lot of that was because of coming out of the strike of '94. That pushed a lot of fans away. Mm-hmm. It was a disaster how that happened. Hopefully we're not on our way to that in 2022. I hope um, But that was what – that's what, what brought the fans back, right? Chicks dig the long ball. Remember that? I mean, that was – this was a thing, okay? Yes, it was. And McGuire and Sosa were at the center of it. And, again, they immortalized it. And then, you know, when Bond started getting closer to the record, every – you know, no matter what game you were watching, they're cutting in to watch Barry Bonds that bad on ESPN – as he's getting, you know, these numbers up there. So, to me, that's part of, like, the league, you know, saying, oh, bigger, better, you know, we want we want this. Like, this is, you know, we're, we're going to sanction this. And then you're going to turn their back on them after this all blows up. Like, they had to have known at that time it was going on. And who was the commissioner? Yeah, Bud Selig. And Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame. I know. So, it's crazy. what are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hypocrisy, yes. It, yeah. It, 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 in baseball, it exists and exists on high levels. There's no question about that. And as you mentioned about the mid-'90s and the return of baseball and, and, and the Sosa McGuire, you know, battles, you know, for that for the all-time lead in home runs in one season before Bonds bought, b- beat it a few years later. Yeah, the home runs brought the fans back, and they were all excited. The owners were great, thrilled about it. That's why they closed their eyes and looked the other way until – the players realized how much money was available to them if they continued to do this. And I can't look. I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million more. All athletes have a finite time to make that type of ridiculous money. Most of them will never make it outside the athletic ability that they bring to their sport. Some of them will. Some of them will outdo what they did in, in, in a sport and business-wise on their own. And there are those who do that. The majority won't. The majority will set their lives off from what they made from their athletic abilities, you know, and their talent. Baseball players, why do you think they continue to do it? Well, if I hit 30 home runs, I get, a, you know, at the time, an eight, ten million dollar contract. You know, if you're a Manny Ramirez, you know, got a twenty million dollar contract. You know, that whole thing, and you got an eight, ten, twelve year contract. This is huge, huge money. The players recognized their avenue to make the money. The owners then realized that this was costing them money. Yeah. And that's when they had the backlash. You know, the, you had the two fences hit each other. And that's where, you know, where we're at again. And what's going on in baseball today is a lot about how the owners really took the players behind the woodshed in the last agreement and got a lot of the things that back that they never had. Players recognize now they made a huge mistake in trying to get some of it back. Chances of them getting it all back are very nil. Yeah. But 
I think this definitely can happen, and uh, I think that's where we're at. We'll see if they get the small issues all put aside and have the one big issue and try to work on it and and get an agreement here in the next month, but I just don't see it. I I want to see it. I'm I'm curious to hear Eric's thought on that because um, he obviously – uh, we'll be covering it for the players and for the ownership and just the game itself being a uh, a writer. So I'm really looking forward to talk to him about that tomorrow. And, uh, of course, the his ballot and everything else. So, um, you know, if you have any questions, just let me know. Tax me, throw me, whatever. And I will get uh, tomorrow afternoon I'm going to talk to him before I take off to go to uh, Pittsburgh to do a high school game. We're going to run out of time. I'll tell you what we will do i got to have you come back on anytime you want, you know, next week, week after. I'd love to have you on next week after maybe you listen to Eric and, you know, give your, your thoughts on some of that. And also um, we'll talk uh, Liverpool then and about what, what moves they made and some of the moves that, that happened in the Premier League on uh, the last day of transfers here in, in January. How's that? Sounds good. All right. Eric Boland's coming up next here on the podcast. As promised, my friend Eric Boland from Newsday, a New York Yankees beat writer, a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America, is joining us. Uh, Eric and I go way back uh, into the 90s. Matter of fact, before we started hit record on this, we were reminiscing about those those glory days of the past. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Tim, and uh, it's nice to uh, hear your voice after uh, 20-something uh, years because I, uh, I left the Warren-Youngstown area, and then uh, we obviously have seen each other uh, periodically on uh, on Twitter but had not had an opportunity to talk until now. And uh, It's obviously been too long, and it's uh, it's my uh, pleasure and privilege to uh, to talk to you on this podcast. Oh, I really do appreciate taking the time. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to call you because uh, – you are a baseball writer who uh, has the opportunity to vote in the uh, for the Hall of Fame, and we are in the midst of a unique time. The last ten years, and probably for the next ten years of the Hall of Fame, where uh, PEDs is going to be always mentioned by the whole thing. I I seen the list of the players you voted for, and for the most part, I want to say about eighty to ninety percent of them all had. An asterisk, if you want to put that, by their names for, for that. And I want to congratulate you for voting that way. By the way, <laughs> well, why are you congratulating me on that? Well, I mean, congratulations is the correct word. Maybe uh, I'm. I think it's the correct move because I think these players, their numbers are their numbers for their era that they played in. Yeah, and that's all yeah, you can I, go by. Yeah, I, Tim. That's yeah. It's a, I and, and no. I mean, I think congratulations. I mean, if I if I agree with somebody, I'll congratulate them sometimes too. So I, I don't think it's a, a mis uh, misuse of the word necessarily. I was just curious where where you fell in the argument. And yeah, I mean, I think Tim, we do see it pretty similarly that um, you know, look, it was an era. However, you want to define it in terms of the number of years, but what we know that uh, PEDs were a large part of that era. And to me, as as one voter out of many. Uh, I think you can only evaluate guys uh, based on the numbers that they put up commensurate with uh, 
those that they're playing against at the time. And so therefore, uh, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, I can go on down the list of, of the ones that I voted for consistently over the years. And my first year voting, I believe, was 2017. Uh, so this was my, my fifth uh, Hall of Fame vote. I have consistently voted uh, for those guys, and I don't vote for them because, because they took uh, PEDs or that they were suspected of taking PEDs, but I do it based strictly uh, on the numbers. Uh, I know you want to talk a little bit more about this, so I won't give you all of my answer at once to, to this, but um, uh, to me, uh, it's all about numbers, and I don't think that the writers should be moral arbiters uh, when it comes to, uh, to, to their votes with the Hall of Fame. Obviously, based on uh, the number of guys who have gotten in uh, over the years and those who have been kept out based on the either suspicions or of PED use or the outright um, facts of, of their use that because they failed uh, one or two tests or more. Um, but to me, uh, that's a moral judgment. And, uh, you know, we have no idea how many guys actually did take and use uh, during that era. And we focus so much on the big names. Um, and, and I think that that is a mistake. And, and the one thing that when I have voters will tell me, uh, and again, they've been successful so far keeping those guys uh, out of the Hall of Fame. But when I've had, uh, you know, friendly disagreements with other writers and sometimes not as friendly um, about that issue, and they say, I will never vote for a, uh, someone who took steroids or PEDs, my response is always, I guarantee you already have. You just don't know it. Or you just don't want to admit it. You know, and that's just the human nature of uh, someone trying to be an arbitrator of, of something like that. I, I honestly think baseball put the writers in, in a difficult position um, because they gave them no leeway. They basically said, you go ahead and make your decision. And now, yeah, and we'll we'll make a decision later. Well, um, here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing, Tim, about that, that whole uh, era. The Players Association wanted nothing to do with testing. Management wanted nothing to do with testing. And the commissioner, Bud Selig, wanted nothing to do with testing. So nobody during that era until the very end of it, when Congress started to get involved, and usually I object to anything that, that Congress sticks their fingers in because they usually screw it up. And then they didn't necessarily you know, distinguish themselves during those hearings either, where it became a partisan thing, um, which is not shocking the way we see how, how most of those buffoons act. But um, you know, until Congress got involved and basically said to baseball, you need to do something about this, nobody involved in baseball cared. Why did they not care? Because the money was rolling in. You know, remember, we all remember the commercials, chicks dig the long ball. Exactly. Uh, and, and, we, and we know how, you know, after the, the strike shortened season of 1994 that trickled into 1995, which ultimately cost, you know, the, the World Series being canceled in uh, in '94, um, and, and you know baseball it took a while to to come back. However, you want to define that, and then all of a sudden the big home run chase of '98 with you know McGuire and Sosa, uh, and again the the you know the, the sport rebounded uh, in all across the board in terms of attendance and TV ratings, and most importantly to the owners and players with the money that was coming in, and so nobody wanted to ask any questions about about those numbers and the re the record books being rewritten, et cetera, et cetera. And so if none of the people involved in the sport cared, why should I as a voter suddenly be called upon to render judgment on that era? And it's not a matter of fairness or unfairness. You said, uh, and I don't disagree with you, but you said it's, you know, put the, the writers in a, in a tough situation. I don't even necessarily look at it like that where it's a difficult or unfair 
situation. But what I do push back on is where I say, you know, wait a minute, if the sport itself didn't care and they didn't, then what should I go on? Well, to me, it comes back to what you and I talked about at the very start of the segment, which is I'm just going to go strictly on the numbers. Did the guy put up numbers against, you know, against people he played against um, that distinguished him as being that much better? And so I just vote uh, strictly on that. And, And I'll add one other thing. If you talk to anyone about that era inside the game, most people will tell you that probably 35 to 40 percent, and this is on the low end, were doing something. I mean, steroids, PEDs, all of that stuff was rampant in the sport. People will tell you it was as low as 35, 40 percent, and maybe as high as 60 percent or more that were using or doing something. So let's use Alex Rodriguez as an example. He hit 696 career home runs. He played most of his career in that steroid era as, as it's, it's, it's called based on just the numbers alone. He hit a fair number of his home runs off of pitchers who also would have been using based on the percentages of guys in the game who were using, whether you use 40% or use 60%. It, the facts are that, that if that many players were using, he would have hit a lot of home runs off of pitchers who were also using performance-enhancing drugs. How do you balance that? You don't. There's no way. You don't, you can, you don't, you don't and you can't. And that's why, as, as I mentioned to the start, you know, we have no idea who really was using and the number of people, and we just obsess over Bonds and Clemens and A-Rod and Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa and McGuire and on and on down the list, and we don't think about the scrub pitcher who was also using, and it just didn't help him as much as maybe it helped somebody else, you know? And so if if it's cheater against cheater, if we want to be blunt about it, sure. Um, and and the, the guy holding the ball or the guy hitting the ball, uh, you know, emerged victorious, such as Alex Rodriguez, obviously more often than not emerged victorious in, in that battle. But again, as a, as a voter, how do you balance that exactly? If he hit 400 of his 696 home runs off of a pitcher who was also using something, you know, what, what exactly we do? We would, to me, that's a, that's a tangled web that I really have no interest in, in getting into because there's no way of knowing. I totally agree. I can't, You, I think you put it in the best perspective that you, you can. And, and that's the way I said All you could do is look at the numbers and the era they played in. You can try to compare someone from the 60s to the 80s to the 2000s. It's just, it's a different era. It's different. I mean, the game is the same. The ability has changed. Uh, technology has changed. Obviously, medicine has changed. And, and you can talk about all these factors, but in the end, it, you you compare them to the players that they played against, and that's all right. you can do. It's not necessarily um, choosing who is and who isn't. I mean, we could like for example, I I made the comment earlier in this podcast. I says on your list, I says I agree with all of them. I says, and if I want to be a guy who who wants to make an argument on one on just the merits of his numbers, I would say you can make an argument and i'm not saying it's it's perfect argument but i think you can say it's almost 50 50 someone like kirk schilling even though his war is really high 216 wins is just that now in the era where there's not many wins and bullpens become more of a factor but i really the first maybe 
half of his career that wasn't as significant as it is at the end of his career. Um, you know, but his numbers are quality. I mean, you look at what he did; they're they're good. My question is, when you have a player who is in that range, you know, two hundred fifteen wins, two hundred twenty five wins, whatever it is, like a, like for example, like a Kevin Brown. How do you determine Kevin Brown? I mean, he fell off the 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 uh, the ballot early, but he had right. like two hundred thirty wins, and he was a dominating pitcher for five, six, seven seasons. Uh, during his career, um, you know, how do you determine, you know, I mean, if if yeah, Kurt I, Schilling's a Hall of Famer, in my mind, that Kevin Brown's a Hall of Famer is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I I, I believe Brown fell off the ballot before I started voting. I yeah, am not did. positive on that. I, OK, I, I don't remember exactly. I don't remember seeing his name on my first ballot, but I can't tell you. I remember every player that was on the first ballot. Exactly. Uh, I've, I've, I've always voted for 10 players. I know that. Um but I mean, first of all, to me, pitchers, and I felt this way as a kid before you know, this became in vogue. I mean, pitchers have very little control over whether they actually get a win or not. Um, and so um, I've never put a lot of stock in that. I mean, I think the, the numbers are impressive. I mean, you, you saw Young's 511 career wins is almost, you can't even conceptualize yeah. something no. like that. Um, you know, a guy to get 500 wins would have to go 25 straight years getting 20 wins a season. I mean, just think about that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so like yeah. you know, when people talk when people talk about you know what's the most unbreakable record in baseball, I usually come back to that one. Um, even though there's plenty of them that are unbreakable, but I can say 511 wins. You know, I don't think anyone's ever going to get to 400 again, um, or even come close to 400. Um, and 300 is probably a thing of the past too. Um, but with Schilling, just taking him as an example, you also have to combine that with his uh, what he did in the postseason. And I think when you take Schilling and you combine what he did in his career in the regular season, and then you throw in what a postseason stud he was, uh, that to me makes a Hall of Famer. I don't think Kevin Brown has the other element of it. I think he's got the, the regular season. He certainly matches up with Schilling. And if you were evaluating Schilling based strictly on – what he did in the regular season, I'm not sure he gets my vote. I'd have to, you know, crunch the numbers a little right. bit more to no, I understand. Be for sure. But I'm not sure that I would vote for him. But when you combine regular season with what he did in the postseason when the games uh, mattered the most, uh, to me that he became a Hall of Famer. With Brown, I'm not sure he could make that same um, argument. Uh, you know, it's just like Mariano Rivera. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer no matter what. But right. Uh, he, he, he put up ridiculous regular season numbers, all-time regular season numbers, and then he was actually even better in the postseason um, when every pitch is, is under scrutiny and yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but in terms of looking at numbers of wins, uh, that, that doesn't even enter the equation. What I, and I, you know, as a BBWAA member, you know, I vote on the annual awards as well. They rotate it. One year I'll get Rookie of the Year, one year I'll get AL Cy Young, then AL MVP, Manager of the Year, whatever. Um, and when I uh, when I have a Cy Young vote, uh, I don't I hardly even look at, at what the win total is. I go right to ERA, ERA Plus, you know, WHIP and, and strikeouts, to every you know all of, I, I, everything basically. But um, uh, wins I look at. I mean, I had a Cy Young uh, Award vote uh, the year that Felix Hernandez 
uh, won it, and he was basically a 500 pitcher that year. But if you looked at his numbers against everyone else, if you eliminated the wins, he was better than everyone, and it wasn't even close. Right. I remember. Some, I do remember. I remember that, some, yes. And I remember some, you know, um, some people in the association. I'll just use it that way in a generic sense, um, who objected that, oh, how can you vote for someone who only had 11 wins or whatever? I don't even remember what it was. But right. I was like, I was like, well, did you look at actually look at his numbers besides that? You know how you know, and he had that year something like um, 10 or 11 no decisions of games that he pitched seven innings or more of scoreless ball. Well, how is that his fault that his offense didn't do anything for him that day? Um, you know, so, um, you know, I remember a game that I covered years ago in Tropicana Field between CC Sabathia and David Price, and both of them pitched, it was seven or eight shutout innings, and then, you know, one of the team's bullpens blew it in the end, and neither neither guy got a win. Like how do you so how how do you evaluate something like that? Right, and um, and statistically you, you, you can't. You statistically, when it comes to at least the win or the loss, um, did it mean that neither one of them pitched great because they didn't get a win? Um, it, you know, it, it's absurd. I mean, wins are a team stat, no matter what how you want to slice it when it when it comes to starting pitchers. So, um, you know, I I could see myself down the line voting for a starting pitcher that doesn't even have two hundred wins. Um, you know, I don't know who that pitcher would be. And I, again, I have to, you know, look at the ballot sure. every year like I sure. do when somebody comes, you know, but maybe King Felix, Felix Hernandez might be one of those examples. I, I don't have his numbers in front of me. I'm not sure if he got to 200 career wins or not. Um, but, you know, he, he would be a guy that I would certainly look at very closely. Uh, and, and again, not even look at the, uh, the win total when I'm evaluating. And that's fair. I mean, I, I, like I said, on your list, and I was just going by your list because you're, sure. you're the person I'm talking to. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, well, hey, I, I, I really don't have a problem with any of them. And I says, if I had one person, I think there's an argument both for and against, it's chilling. On oh, the absolutely. numbers, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, no, and, yeah. and I, and by the way, you know, Tim, and and, and you know, I don't take it personally. No, I was having, I, an e- yeah. I was having, I was having an email exchange with a, uh, with a, a source of mine in the Yankees organization, actually, just a couple of weeks ago, and we were batting back and forth different Hall of Fame things, and um, he was like, sort of, he didn't want to insult me on something, and I was like, I was like, I'm not going to take it can, personal. Yeah, I was like, not personal. I said, it's not just these are these are my votes. This yeah, is, you know, it, it is what that, it is. It doesn't it doesn't mean that I'm right. Um, it doesn't mean you're wrong. I said, please, you know, I, I, and by the way, there's certain guys that I didn't think were hall of famers. And then when I really looked at the numbers where I read, uh, opinions of people who I really respect that really, really, you know, crunch that mm-hmm. stuff, you know, I've had, I've changed my mind on guys. I, I call it, you know, we're allowed to evolve in our thinking, uh, when it comes to, uh, to these types of things. I totally and, agree with uh, that. And so, yeah, so I don't, you know, if, if, if uh, you or anybody else doesn't think Schilling belongs based on the numbers, I, I'm open to those uh, arguments. Right. Uh, and he's and, and he's, he's a, and I don't mind saying it, I think he's a disgusting human being um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but that just, to me, that's that's playing moral arbiter again. And, and for me, the Hall of Fame, that's not the, we already know that there's awful people in the Baseball mm, Hall of Fame. Exactly. Bigots and, ra- and racists and wife beaters, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not condoning, and cheaters, you know, you can go on down the list. Uh, I'm not condoning any of that, that type of behavior, but it is a, it is a museum to the history of the game. Uh, and, you know, based on the on-field contributions, um, it's, you know, to me, Kurt Schilling, even if he is a disgusting human being, which I believe he is, um, he still belongs in there based yeah. on the merits. Again, like I, and I'm, I, I think it's a fair 
I have no problem with any of the, what, 55% or 60% or whatever it was that voted for him because there's a legitimate argument for him. Uh, and there's, you, I said, if there's one on your list that I think has that, okay, I can make an argument against it. Doesn't mean I necessarily mm-hmm. agree with it, but I can make the, at least sure. some type of an argument because the rest of them, to me, were basically slam dunk guys. Um you know, Sheffield and Sosa and Wagner. I mean, I mean, Wagner has over 400 saves in his career. In a, in a baseball, I don't know how you, for a closer, how do you else evaluate them? Because, you know, there's just really no other stat in my eyes that do it. I know the game has changed and evolved and has become a one-ending reliever type thing. But, I mean, when you do it for, what, I don't know how long you played, maybe 15 to 18 years and, and get, yeah. you know, 400, you know, plus uh, saves in his career. Um, uh, <laughs> enough said. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I will say, I will say with the closers, you know, I don't necessarily just go on the, the save totals. I remember a guy with the, uh, well, the then, then Indians. Joe Borowski was yes, it? Yes. Um, who, who had, you know, had like 30 something saves or maybe had, if he's had, more than that. I think he had and almost he, 50 he, or something. It might, and he, but he had like a five ERA. Yes. Oh, yeah. And right. so, and so, so somebody like that, you know, if you put up four hundred saves, but you have a four and a half ERA, I'm probably not going to vote for you. I don't care what the the save total is, but most sure. of those guys are not going to have that kind of number. But it does show you that it, it's not necessarily uh, a cut and dry uh, save total because yeah, that, that right. I remember the Borowski thing was just like you got to be kidding me. Um, right. You're right. And so, um, yeah, it, that's not it's not black or white for me. Again, just I'm speaking for myself when it comes to evaluating those guys. No, but, it's just. Uh, but but I think I will say this though too. With a lot of those guys, you know it when you see it. Yeah. I mean, it's you know it, you know it, it, you know a guy you know even Trevor Hoffman, who I think was slightly overrated. Uh, you know his save total is not that far behind Mario. Time of a position, and and same with Clemens for for goodness sakes. I mean, absolutely. How many complete games that man has, and how many you know just domination and strikeouts, and uh, you know as you mentioned postseason games. I, I you know enough said. Give the man you know the credit where he's due, um, and that's what it, this was about. I don't care if you're talking about you know football, baseball, basketball. I mean, in the end, you're talking about numbers and you're talking about what they achieved. Uh, you don't want to uh, if you're going to honor what they did at that profession, then you need to stand up and, and, and be counted. I understand the the moral clause and all that BS that is part of baseball and has been for a very long time. And I get the same argument, well, well where's Pete Rose? Well, I don't say one thing, and you'll understand this. I says, Pete Rose has never been voted on in the Hall of Fame. He was just banned no, from it. They, well, they, 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 are, they were afraid, you know, to put him on the ballot because they felt writers would probably put him in. Um, and I have no idea whether they would have or they wouldn't have. I, I suspect it would have been very close. Um, I, I do think if he suddenly appeared on the ballot now um, that, that he would probably get voted in fairly easily. I would, I would definitely vote for him. I mean, to me, Tim, you know, this, it, it, it's very, I, I think we've not, we, you and I, but right. I think we societally have overcomplicated a lot of things, um, but we, we've overcomplicated the hall of fame uh, to this degree at its base. It is a museum that chronicles the history of the sport. That's it. That's, that's what it is. And so the history of the sport, it's kind of difficult to write it 
without including the all-time hits leader, without including the all-time home run leader, without including uh, one of the hands-down best pitchers, right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers, whatever, ever, which is Roger Clemens fits that bill. You can go down, you know, down the list. Um, you know, if you're going to, you know, talk about the great home run chase of 1998, uh, you can't ignore that Sammy Sosa was a part of that. And he does, oh, by the way, have 600 plus career home runs. And there's still only a handful of guys, well, not a handful, but only a, a small, you know, a number of people that, that have achieved that. Um, and so, you know, if you're chronicling the history of a sport, you have to include all aspects of it. And it's not only the good, it's, it's also the bad and, and the ugly and, and, you know, elements of, of the game that you, you just assumed had not existed, but they did exist. And my problem with the hall of fame is it wants to pretend and with voters as well, is it wants to pretend as if this never happened. And therefore, if we keep these guys out, we can, we can pretend that the steroid era didn't happen, but you know what, there's already a lot of cheaters in the hall of fame and there's a lot of racists and bigots and people that tried to keep the, the sport and successfully. So, uh, you know, a, a white man only sport. Um, and you know, all of those people are in, uh, and so, you know, the, the character clause, uh, with the hall of fame, uh, do I ignore it? Yes, absolutely. I do. Because you know what? It's been ignored for about a hundred years. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can't add to it. You, you said it perfectly. And it's, it's like I said, it's an interesting di- dynamic that goes on in baseball with this holy than mighty belief of the game and, and how they, basically present themselves versus what they do. I've always said, why don't they, I mean, like you said, it's a history museum. And I, I mentioned this earlier. There's two sections of, of the Hall of Fame. I've never been there, but I've been told there's the history of baseball, and then there's the plaque area where there's the lead players. Now, in the history, just put in, you don't even have to denote it on their plaques. Just put in, this is what happened between, basically, you know, you can give a range of years and say it not necessarily started on that date didn't necessarily end on this date but this is right. what was considered you know the the PED slash steroid era where sure. numbers were inflated and you could say they may we don't know the exact number of players who were involved but we do know some players who have been and then you, I'm, I'm generalizing but there's there's a better way of saying it but and then you actually deal with it. And these players who, like a Manny Ramirez or a Clemens or a Bonds, you know, either A, never never tested positive or did test positive, can actually get the deserved recognition of what they achieved in the game. Yeah, and, and there's a variety of ways that you can do that. And and to me, and you mentioned the, the plaques, I actually would put it on the plaque with like someone like Barry Bonds, I would say, you know, hit, you know, 73 home runs one year, you know, ended up with, you know, with whatever, off the top of my head, 762 or something like that. Something, yes. Um, you know, career home runs. Uh, however, his uh, his career was uh, tainted by uh, by uh, rampant uh, rumors and speculation of steroid use and acu- he accumulated the vast majority of these numbers during the so-called steroid era. Like, put it on the plaque. I have no issue with that. Um, or, like you said, make it a wing, you know, the steroid era wing. And where, like you said, records were rewritten, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's part of the history of the, the sport, and it should be acknowledged in some way, shape, or form. And it's not. And and again, you know, uh, guys have been, you know, people pine for a era of purity that never existed in the game. You can go back and read accounts in the, you know, in 
publications that covered the sport back in the 1880s and 1890s and there's descriptions of players uh, you know uh, taking various uh, uh, you know things <laughs> Uh, to try to get some kind of uh, of an edge, uh, the, because it was you know it was they had seen that it, that it helped racehorses, and so they they figured out or tried to figure out a way uh, you know to ingest that you know and this stuff is it's not difficult to find um, you know in, in terms of reading and research uh, that that guys cheating and attempting to cheat has long been a part of the game and and you know we, we talk about the era of steroids let's talk about greenies and amphetamines. And, and all of the guys that, that during, you know, the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, um, that used amphetamines um, because and which allowed them to stay out till the you know, all hours of the morning, uh, bar hopping or doing whatever, getting into their hotel at, at four or five in the morning and then showing up at the ballpark at 10, 11 o'clock to play a one o'clock game. Uh, and they popped some amphetamines that either they just pill, pill popped them or they were in the coffee. You know, there used to be uh, coffee pots in the clubhouses uh, and they were labeled leaded and unleaded. Uh, and the ones that were leaded had the amphetamines in it. Um, and so that allowed them to recover and to play that afternoon after a night of carousing or drinking or whatever it may be. You going to tell me that's not a performance enhancing drug? No, of course it is. Of course, you know it's, yeah. it's not. It's not the same thing as a steroid or a performance-enhancing uh, drug that that might uh, bulk you up muscle-wise and allow someone to hit the ball 420 feet as opposed to 400, whatever. Uh, but it's if it allows you to take the field in a different state than you would have been without taking it. It doesn't have to necessarily build muscle to be a performance-enhancing drug, is my point. And that stuff's been a part of the sport for 100-plus years. And to to pretend that it hasn't been uh, is actually kind of an embarrassment to the, to, uh, to the Hall of Fame and a lot of the people voting on it. Well stated. All right, let me get your uh, thoughts here on the uh, status of baseball and its labor negotiations. Uh, we are in February 1st. Uh, I'm not optimistic. Um <laughs> I th- I honestly uh, I was talking to Anthony who I do this podcast with uh, last week, and he goes, you know, I'm, I'm about to cancel my annual trip out to Arizona, you know, because I got canceled by uh, COVID, you know, the year before and all this, and I'm like, Anthony, I says cancel them because I can't imagine, um, at least right now, and God knows I have no information whatsoever, just from what you read, and information I hear from others uh, that. By March Madness, there will be an agreement. I just don't see it. Well, look, I would say you don't have any reason to be optimistic, Tim. First and foremost, based on the the history of the negotiations between these two sides. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're in for the long haul. We've been here uh, in the long haul. Um, my personal prediction, and I, you know, I, I don't cover the labor stuff for uh, for Newsday. We have a national baseball reporter that, that delves a lot deeper into that, so I don't have any particular insight here, uh, other than it's a sport I've covered for a long time, and and I I know people on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, in, in terms of the the negotiating element of this. Um, to me. I, at the earliest, I could see spring training starting. At the absolute earliest, would be March first. And normally, pitchers and catchers report February 12th, 13th, 14th, somewhere in there. Um, I would say there's zero chance of that. March 1st, to me, is the earliest that you might see something. 
Uh, I think more realistic is probably, you know, the second week of March, something like that. And then the question becomes, are there going to be uh, regular season games lost? And, you know, I have to say that it's a 50-50 proposition that uh, that there aren't regular season games lost because, you know, the two sides remain very far apart, you know, at least in the last week and a half or so. Uh, there's been a little bit more uh, in terms of uh, sharing ideas and negotiating. I mean, after the December 1st lockout was instituted by the owners, uh, the sides went about six weeks before they even sat down and talked again which kind of gives you an idea of the uh, yeah you know the, I... the, state, the state of the relationship between the two sides you know like the, the biggest problem tim w- with this is that you know these two sides so distrust each other that in a way that doesn't exist in the other sports and and you know labor negotiations between players and management and all the sports are always adversarial to a degree but generally in every sport but baseball there's some agreed upon things that are pretty easily agreed to um whatever those those may be where the other side doesn't always think that the other side is out to get them in major league baseball owners think every player's proposal has some hidden agenda before it that's a part of it and the players feel the same way about the owners. So even if it's something that the players suggest that owners on the surface might think is a good thing, they're thinking, okay, what do they really mean here? And the same thing when the players hear something from the owners. And so there's no easy issues, in other words, that can get hashed out because each side fully is convinced that the other side is out to screw them. And so when when that's the starting point for any negotiation, you get what you get when Major League Baseball and the Players Association get over, uh, you know, get uh, apart from each other at the table and, and, and are involved in this process. And further complicating it is the fact that the most recent collective bargaining agreement that just expired, the players knew right away pretty much within a few months of it that they made a bad deal. And so they've been gearing for basically the entire five years of this just expired CBA, gearing up for this next one, because they made a bad deal, which is the Players Association's fault. It's not the owner's fault. And by the way, I'm on the players' side pretty much on all of this stuff. So I'm not coming at it from a perspective as, you know, oh, the players make too much money. I think the players should make as much money as they can get. I think that nobody in the history of sports has ever paid to watch an owner do anything. And so, therefore, uh, the players should get the majority of the pie. They should get as much as they can. That said, the players made a bad deal the last time out, uh, and they are fully committed to, uh, you know, making up for uh, for that this time around. And the owners, you know, and, and this is, you know, from their perspective, um, you know, they, they stepped on the players' necks the last time, and they'd like to do so again. Um, and so that's why you have so little movement uh, in these talks, because, um you know, the players are hell-bent on basically getting revenge uh, for the last bad CBA that they uh, that they signed, and the, the owners want to keep things as close to status quo as possible. And that's and that's and that's a, and that's a recipe for exactly the type of situation that they're in right now. So, you know, I, I when you said that you're not optimistic and you told uh, you know Anthony uh, to cancel those plans, uh, I, I would say if he's planning to go, that he should he should plan to go in uh, you know mid to late March. Uh, and if he was planning to go in February or early March, he's probably going to be disappointed. Yeah, I, I I just don't see a way out right now. And uh, I mean, obviously. If they truly negotiate, maybe they'll they'll find a way. 
uh, I wish them well. I mean, I've come to the conclusion in my life that I've learned long ago it's out of my control. Just sit back <laughs> and watch it, and whatever happens, uh, you can comment on it. But it doesn't affect me. It's about the players and the ownership, and let them fight it out. And, you know, yeah, damage to the game, well, there's nothing I can do about that. That's that's a different story, a different category. And uh, I'll worry about that after the fact. But, yeah, but this is what you get. And as you said, and, I, and the way I always said it is the owners took the players behind the woodshed the last agreement, and the players realize it, and now they're trying to get things back that they once had, and that's difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, in any, nego- in any negotiation, once you give something up, it's and this was a Marvin Miller who established the Players Association, you know, in the in the late '60s. You know, that that was one of his tenets was once you give something up, you usually don't get it back. Exactly, Eric. Uh, one last question for you today, uh, just to have some fun. Besides coming back to Cleveland, you get to travel around the country, and obviously, you live in New York. Is there a certain city you always enjoy going to the most? Oh man! I mean, well, first of all, I mean, because I'm, 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 you know, I'm proud, as it says on my Twitter handle, I'm a proud native of Cleveland. You know, Cleveland still is my favorite road city, if you will. But taking Cleveland out of the mix because it's my hometown, I mean, I have to say, Tim, it's um, one of the joys, the perks of the job, however you want to, you know, describe it, is that, you know, I really, you know, I, I, my joke is I've got 25 cities in my top 10, because. You know, yeah. I've been lucky. Enough, I've been lucky enough to, you know, be to go to every ballpark multiple times in in every, you know, in all 30 major league cities, um, and even the cities that, you know, one of my favorite places to go. I'll just say off the top of my head, then people would, you know, laugh at other not maybe not in, in you know your area, um, but Detroit. I love Detroit. The ballpark is great. Hotel situation is great. The downtown area, uh, much like in downtown Cleveland, where 10 or 15 years ago, you know, there was, it wasn't real good. Well, they built it up. A lot of young professionals have moved in. There's a great bar, restaurant scene, et cetera. Uh, one of my absolute favorite uh, restaurants is in downtown Detroit, a place called Jacoby's, which is a German place that opened in 1912. Um, just speaking off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, I mean, I love Seattle, San Diego, um, uh, Toronto is one of my favorite spots. Um, uh, uh, Miami, obviously, because of Miami Beach, even though the traffic is, is a horrendous situation. Chicago is, is you, know, you can't beat Chicago on a, on a nice, uh, you know, uh, late summer um, night. Uh, there, there's there's just a lot of great places to go. And, and when I hear people in my business insult certain cities, it always bothers me because my, my reaction is, you know what, if you're willing to leave your hotel room, you can always find something good in every city. Um, but, um, you know, because you did ask me a direct question, you know, I, I would probably say, you know, in, in no particular order that, uh, you know, Seattle would be high up there for me. San Francisco would be high up there. San Diego, certainly. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and is one of the, uh, one of the surprise and, and Kansas city definitely uh, is probably uh, high on my list too. Uh, that's, that's good. As I know, uh, having that opportunity, you had to have a, a, a quality answer there. So I thought I, I, I'd, <laughs> I'd have some fun here with some uh, liberty at the end of the uh, the podcast. <laughs> no, it's hey, look, it's you know, it's it, 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 I tell I, I said this when I worked in the Warren Youngstown area, and I'll say it, you know, now uh, even doing completely different jobs, but you know, this this definitely beats working for a living. It certainly does. It certainly does. Even the little bit I get to do still. Uh, Eric, <laughs> uh, my friend, it has been a wonderful hour talking to you, and I wish you well. 
please, um, I'm going to have to give you a call during the during the actual season and uh, spend a few minutes with you talking about actual baseball, what's going on in the world, and uh, having fun just like the old days. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Give me a call anytime, Tim. All right, that's Eric Bowen from Newsday. He is the beat writer for the New York Yankees and a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. I want to thank Eric. I want to thank Kevin for filling in for Anthony. And I want to thank you most of all for downloading and listening. As I always tell you, remember to tell your family, friends, and enemies about Radio MVP. 